0: Hello, my name's Matt, and we had some issues recording the sermon on Sunday. So instead of me speaking to the whole congregation, it's just me and the microphone, and and you, of course. You, Uh, it's just, just this is just for you. Um, And the reason we would go. To the trouble of re-recording the whole the whole sermon again is really the same reason that we are in this series in the first place. This series we've been um, in it for a few weeks now. It's called Fear Not, and we've called it that because of the frequently given commandment we see God give: Fear Not. Uh, and the reason we're drilling down into into this issue of, of all the possible issues of camping out, not just, not just speaking on it one week and then moving on to another and the next. This, this issue of fear being the one that we've decided to talk about in depth is, I hope, an obvious reason. Right? We are in a world that seems riddled with it. It's, it seems like almost everyone is, is deeply affected daily by by fear by anxiety it's just gnawing away and you know what i'm not just talking about the world out there you know though those who um, would not call themselves christians i'm talking just as much about our own experiences here in the church of god Uh, and and the reason if i may suggest one reason for this sort of fearfulness is that we're we're aware, aren't we, right? That the the way life works is that anything can happen at any time, and and the surprises that life can throw at you are sometimes, often, even of the painful variety. If you've uh, visited uh, Grace City on a on a Sunday morning, we make a big deal of life groups, the the groups that mi- meet uh, midweek in people's homes across the city, eating together, praying together, uh, kind of getting into one another's lives uh, here at this church. So uh, as someone who's been leading life groups for quite a number of years now, the, this idea that life just can can throw all sorts of things at you out of the blue is life groups are a very good teacher for that fact you know sometimes if you're a life group leader sometimes the, the call just comes in the in the middle of the night uh from someone in the group something has so unexpected has happened and, and uh that that's just that's just sometimes how it goes you know so i thought just to start this just to start this sermon, let me give you some examples right? Let me just list out a bunch. here are some some things that have come up in the last few years within my life groups um, these aren 't hypothetical, I'm not making these up. these are things that have happened, so that relationship that seemed so sure that was going somewhere it just it just seemed so dependable, so unlike all the others suddenly unexpectedly, abruptly ends, just dissolves. Um, the, the job that was paying all the bills suddenly out of nowhere is, is terminated and with no pay for that month, you know, the month that was just worked, but also no severance either. The company just goes out of business, vaporizes. Or uh, the, the blood work comes back. Yep, it is cancer. Or the the Christian spouse that you've married decides that they're they're no longer a believer and they are leaving the faith and the church. The pregnancy that you had been so excited for ends in a miscarriage. The Christian father, who was a pastor, leading a church, decides to commit adultery runs off with another woman, leaving your mother and your siblings alone. Now, I'm aware on a Thanksgiving weekend like this, this is not how you start a sermon. This is not how you do it. The, you know, the. Uh, yesterday, there was just so many visitors, uh, people visiting Grace City. You, 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 here's what you meant to do when you start a sermon. You're meant to, you're meant to uh, keep it light, keep it fun, especially on Thanksgiving. Just tell a funny story. Keep it light. And, you know, here's why couldn't do it yesterday, can't do it now as I'm recording this. Some of us, I know, right, some of us listen to that list, the list I've just given, and we think, oh, wow, that... That all sounds a bit extreme, and to you, I would want to just say you are the fortunate ones. You know, these sorts of sudden life events, well, they just haven't come knocking on your door yet. Yet? What, What does he mean by yet? But then there are others, right? Maybe this is you listening, and I, and I think this is not a small number who, who hear that list and say one of those things, maybe two of those things. That has been my week, has been my month, that's, that's been my year. The, the reason I say all this at the top of this, this sermon, even a, even a Thanksgiving sermon, yeah. is really we want to get to grips with, with life the way life can be. Because we, we want to recognise something here at Gray City, something key, that nice sounding platitudes, not enough. And they're not enough not, when, when confronted with the reality of what life, real life can be like. You know, nice stories with no grounding in reality. They're just going to ring hollow when one of those phone calls comes. When, when any, when any of this happens to us or to those we love. But here's the good news. I, I really, I honestly believe that what Christianity offers far outstrips what fluffy Instagram style platitudes can offer. What, what self-help motivational talks can provide. And if you're listening to this and, and you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that You know, that ought to intrigue you. What does Christianity offer that means Christians can be unique in how we navigate these storms of life? Well, let's read together Luke 8 uh, from verse 22. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. they set out and as they sailed he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and they were in danger and they went and woke him saying master master we are perishing and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm he said to them where is your faith and they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another who then is this That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. We tend to use uh, the phrase, well, suddenly those of us who are Christians tend to use the phrase storms of life to, to describe life's difficulties. You know, storms of life. There's something very apt in that metaphor, isn't there? With, with, with the hurricane only a, a few weeks behind us, we, we here in Ottawa, we here in Gatineau, we've, we've seen the pain and the destruction literal storms can bring, haven't we? When we come to a story like this one in Luke 8, this is very much not a metaphorical storm. This is a real life or death scenario. The disciples, they are afraid they're terrified out of their minds because there are actual waves towering above, literal waves crashing down on the boat. The fact that experienced fishermen as some of the disciples were are deeply concerned that they are gonna die ought to be enough to convince us that the danger they face here is serious. That that list of real life examples of, of what we may call storms of life that I just rattled off a few moments ago life threatening cancer you know so called stable marriages and families very suddenly disintegrating impending financial ruin i am, i am so glad that the scriptures provide us with a scenario that feels right at home amongst them in ter- in terms of the seriousness You know, the the disciples sum up their situation quite clearly when they exclaim, Master, Master, we are perishing. Yet, what's interesting here is the disciples do not merely say, Master, Master, we are perishing. The, The book of Mark, when we read the story in the book of Mark, it gives us an extra detail. Mark tells us that the disciples say these exact words to Jesus as well. Teacher do you not care that we are perishing? Listen, listen to what they're saying here. This is, this is not merely a cry of, of terror or a cry for help. It, it, it is that, of course, but it is not just that. Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you, do you see the charge? They are aiming at Jesus. Do you, do you see the accusation? Do you not care? We, we know, we, we Christians, right, we be- believers li- listening to this, you know, if, if you imagine you are, uh, we, we know that this is a fairly wrong charge to bring against the one who is going to die for the sins of the world, right? That, you don't have to have been a Christian for very long to kind of get get the idea and just imagine right if you're in a life group and you know many life groups they there's there's prayer right at the very end okay and can you imagine if someone with their eyes shut praying were to begin a prayer by saying jesus you do not care for us they're, they're, you can imagine a few people in the room kind of opening their eyes and going, like, "Oh, what? That's that's not one of the. <laughs> it doesn't seem like an acceptable. We 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 know that this is this is quite the false accusation to to bring against Jesus. We we know when the when we read it here in in the book of Mark, when, they, when the disciples say, "Do you not care, Jesus?" We know it's wrong to say that, but don't we do this? Is, is this not the same thing we do when, when we are greatly agitated, when we are suddenly disturbed by whatever unexpected storm of life we find ourselves in? I think it is. And you, you know, I am, ah, oh, I'll tell you this, I am grateful for every blunder, every mistake the disciples make. I am so thankful for for every gracious correction they need to hear. I'm grateful that the disciples themselves have been so diligent in, in detailing their own failures because it helps me see myself in the story. I, I can be so much like them. Can't can't you? And I'm I should, I should say, if you cannot see yourself in this story, you know what? You're probably not going to benefit from it. But let's, let's benefit from it together. Let's see. Let's read. What, what does Jesus say to the disciples after this outrageous false accusation, right after he miraculously calms the storm? So, so Jesus gets up, he speaks to the wind and the waves and they, they go silent, they go still, and then he turns to the disciples. What is it that Jesus says? to them he says this he asks a question where is your faith isn't it isn't it interesting we were dealing with a situation that in in one sense was very material very physical or practical right This, this is real waves real water pouring into the boat real danger and we could say the very same thing about the list of real life scenarios that we've kind of Uh, thought about already you know real cancer a a real relationship really shattering a a real paycheck that really isn't going to come next week but but jesus despite how literal the danger was he wants to talk about faith he, he wants to make it spiritual. And to, to those of us who we might be more kind of problem solvers, we might be very practical. There may be something almost annoying about Jesus making it spiritual. But Jesus wants to talk about faith. And since that's what Jesus wants to talk about, let's talk about it. Let, let's ask this question. Where, where is your faith? Now, right, as we, as we start to talk about faith, we have to be, oh, we have to be so careful how we read what Jesus says here, because we can very easily misread what Jesus asks, right? Here's how we read it. Maybe you've read it, read this story like this before, right? Where Jesus, he goes to say those words and he kind of goes, where is your faith? You, you know, as if Jesus was saying it like that, as if Jesus is just letting off some steam, like Jesus is just really frustrated. Why? Why? Where is your faith? Why do we read this? Why do we read those words of Jesus like that? That, that tone, where does it come from? Well, it comes from, it comes from us. That's the answer. We're reading that into the story, you know, as, as if Jesus responds with frustration like I often do, as if Jesus rolls his eyes in exasperation like we do. Friends, Jesus is not like we are. Thank God he he is far more patient, far more gentle than we are if if we read it like that as if Jesus is frustrated if i do that if i add in my own tone i make jesus like me like like a sinful impatient person and that's bad enough but we in a sense we we double down on our mistake because we also end up missing that jesus is actually asking the disciples a question you know i I just imagine jesus kind of after calming the storm kind of getting a hold literally kind of grabbing hold of the disciples looking them in the eye and actually asking them a question where is your faith where is it now jesus is is not saying here you disciples you don't have any faith he's saying you 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 do have faith where is it where is it? Right, right now when you need it, when you need it most. That's a very good question. One thing we've, we've been seeing a, a bit here and a bit there as we've been going through this Fear Not series is, it is really the, the relationship such as it is between faith and fear. We've, we've seen that where there is a display of faith, there is often no sign of fear and when we we have seen fear we we don't often see very much faith when we come to this story we we cannot get away from this relationship or this, or the lack of one between fear and faith but i i know that there are many who are who are new uh, to to grace city church and just a to the to to church in in general so i want to talk what what do i mean when i say that word faith what do i mean well by by faith i mean a confidence uh, an assurance a belief but not just just any old confidence right i'm not i'm not talking about this summoned up from from within kind of sort of optimism well i'm not an optimist optimist really i don't know where that comes from but this belief i'm talking about that this is a belief that is is rooted in god himself it's a conviction that god is good it's this assurance god is sovereign it's it's a belief that the the love of god is sufficient for you this is what I mean when I when I when I say that word faith. It's a faith that finds its root, or, or, it, it, or its anchor in in who God is. Faith, is so often misunderstood, which may be a surprising thing for you to hear, um, because even if you know the only the very basics about Christianity, you'll you'll know this that faith is central to really. Our whole deal as Christians, you know, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith. That's what the letter to the to the Ephesians proclaims through faith. This faith, this faith in God, faith is the it's the way, and you know what? It's the only way. There's no other way that we enter into God's forgiveness, into His family, into the goodness of His kind promises. So, so if you're listening to this online and you're not a follower of Jesus yet you need to know that this is really all you need to know faith in Jesus is the doorway to everything that God has on offer to you today and having said all of that you know what I'm going to say it again this thing this this faith is so often misunderstood it's, it's misunderstood in a few ways but here's one way right Here, here's how we may be inclined to think that faith works so early this year rich uh who who leads the leads the team at gray city and i uh took a trip to montreal and just rented a car for for a few hours and it was one of these kind of newfangled cars with with an automatic guiding system okay so if you started to drift out of the lane you know you'd move the steering wheel over and the uh, and you'd start to drift up the lane, well, then the steering wheel would just move of its own accord and correct the trajectory. It was really weird. It was really spooky. Or, or Rich would just take his foot off the the brake and, and we would just be continuing you know in 20 seconds time at this speed we're going to be end up hitting the car in front but but then you just you just watch the the brake you just watch the pedal and you just you just see it go down of its own accord, own accord and the car would slow itself down it was so it was it was weird it's like the car was haunted or something it's just a just a little bit disconcerted uh, and and if, if you know Rich, you can you can absolutely bet he was just playing with this feature for fifteen minutes. You know, setting setting the car off at an angle, and then just watching as as the steering wheel moves and cr- it just corrects itself, or, or setting up this possible future collision, and, and we just we just watch as the car sort of sorts itself out. And one of the biggest misunderstandings I, I see when it comes to the subject of faith for Christians. So we just assume faith. Oh yeah, faith works just the same way, right? I've believed in Jesus. I've been saved. Wonderful, right? I have this, I have this faith, this saving faith, and and then when life suddenly starts drifting into trouble and you're you're drifting into danger, we think that faith is going to automatically kick in you know much like that automatic guiding system guide you out of trouble you know settle the emotions wrap you in this in in this peace keep keeping your eyes fixed on 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 god and we just think that, that all happens and we don't even realize that it happens that's how we think faith should work but even if you've been a christian for just a little while you you know right that your faith doesn't jump in automatically it doesn't jump in magically does it it certainly doesn't for the disciples here and and they they'd seen jesus do many miracles they they absolutely have a faith and yet it seems to not be there at all that that, this is this is why jesus asks that question where is your faith because faith is not this automatic system that just jumps in. You know, when Jesus asks that question, where is your faith? He's saying, disciples, you, you need to bring your faith to bear on this situation. To, to recognise, to speak this to yourself, preach this message to, the, to yourself that in the time it's taken for this storm to whip up, for the waves to get high, that that God's character has not changed. That he's still good, that he does care for you. He, even if the storms of life seem to say, seem to shout, he does not care, he does this this correction this kind so kind rebuke from jesus as he wants to shepherd his disciples it's so helpful for us he he shows us that we 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 have to bring our faith we will be ready to bring our faith to bear on the storm to tell ourselves to preach to ourselves that god is the same yesterday today and forever that that god is you know, when, when life was wonderful and nice, and the skies were sunny, that God is still the same when it doesn't look that way. And if that is true, if that is a true fact, then the then the Christian ought never respond like the disciples. We read the disciples do in this story with fear. And listen, I know we do. I know I do sometimes. But but we've got to identify what our reaction should be and what it shouldn't be. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere, are we? Because the the truth is, we are not alone. That Jesus is in the boat with us. That He has not left us. You know, we we Christians, we we've, we've got to get in the habit of doing this: speaking truth to the the storms of distrust, like you know, distrusting that God is worth trusting. Speaking to those storms that whip up in our. Hearts, you know, just like the disciples, will get it wrong, but there is grace for us. Do you you see in the story there was such grace for the disciples? You notice how badly the disciples respond. They're saying, "Oh, Jesus, you do not care for us." What, What a what a false accusation! What a lie! They 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 respond so badly. But Jesus, even before saying anything to them. Jesus calms the storm regardless that that is grace that is grace the, see that the more we're aware of who Jesus is how gracious he is how kind he is who, who the focus of our faith is the the more of an effect that's going to have when we bring our faith to bear on our own storms the disciples clearly knew something of jesus's power and something even of how jesus cares for them but still at the end they are left saying who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him they're they're left worshiping going well there is there is more to this man jesus his care his power his his loving kindness there's more to this man who is god That the disciples needed to know. They needed to experience. That there was more for them and there is more for us to taste and see that he is good. And and that's what interests me. Where do these disciples after this, these same disciples, where do they end up? You know, they've had this experience in the boat. And you know what, they have many more such similar experiences. What, What do they learn about the storms of life? Jesus's presence in them after years of following him how, how does it shape their view of suffering how what about Peter right Peter he's in the boat that day how what does it has it shaped Peter's view of the trials of faith when when life just you know when life doesn't make sense well this is what Peter writes in in 1 Peter chapter 1 this is this is verse 7 he, he talks about the the trials of faith and says that he says that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We might we might hear that and go, wait, what? <laughs> what Peter says that the trial of your faith is precious; it's more precious than gold she perishes you know that's often to be honest that's not my approach to the trials of faith to the storms of life i often take one look at them and i say i say get me out of here and yet peter is saying they are gold see as awful as peter's near-death experience or so it seemed to be as awful as it was as awful as having to here jesus cor- correct them, Peter now looks back on all of that, and he would not change that experience if he could go back and avoid it, he wouldn't that that trial no, he wouldn't take it back, not for not for all of the gold in the world. peter no no doubt looks back at all his trials, all the moments where his faith is stretched and 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 or splinters, and even seems to momentarily fail, and says, "You know what it was." Worth it. Peter says those trials they were worth it for where it got me. We must be clear about this. As Christians, we will be subject to trials of our faith. That they are they are allowed by God. And I know that's like right, that. I know that some of us we hear that and we get uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable with the idea, ah, oh, I don't like I don't like that God would be okay with subjecting our faith to difficulty. But let me just say, because clearly our lives are subjected to difficulty. Okay, that, that's a fact. Let's, let's work with that. That, that. that idea that God would would be the one who who is in control of that is far more palatable than having a God who who, who looks down and goes, "Oh, I'm really, I'm sorry uh, about all those those trials, but I'm not big enough to sort it out," or, or God who looks down and goes, "Oh no, I am big enough to sort it out. I'm just, I just don't care enough." You know, those are the only other alternatives. But praise God, we, we have a God who knows about these trials, who could stop these trials, but doesn't because he has a bigger, better plan than our own comfort. And this bigger, better plan, it's, it's about, you know, what is that? It's, it's about bringing about a purified faith, a, a, a faith. That has, as Peter says, a tested genuineness that you can point to and say, this, this faith that I've got, it's, it's a faith that lasts and I know it does. I, I've, I've been through the storms of life and it has lasted and it, it will last even till, as Peter says, the revelation of Jesus Christ when Jesus comes back and puts an end to all these storms. That's, that's the goal, being able to point at faith and say this is faith that lasts that's the goal that peter esteems that is what he wants for us this this idea of bringing the faith that we have in a in a very present jesus who is with us who is for us who delights in us despite how many things how how may how things may look bring it bringing that faith to bear on the storms in our life that idea, you know, we're we're all working on this. We're no, none of us are there yet, but that's who we get to look to. the The one whom even the winds and the waves obey him. What does that mean? That that means Jesus calms storms, either right now or in the future. You know, one one day when Jesus returns, every storm of life, the cancer, the failed relationship, whatever whatever it is. Whatever it is will be redeemed. Not just, not just simply thrown away or forgotten, but made glorious. No, I don't know how, right? I don't know how. And that's because Jesus is God and I am not. This is, this is the, the one, this is Jesus who, who assures us that nothing is wasted. And when the storms are raging, we have Jesus with us. The one who died on the cross and rose again, proving, yes, yes, Jesus does care. And, and who, be, because of his death and resurrection, forgives us when we doubt his goodness. This is the Jesus who, who is dedicated to, to perfecting our faith, to proving it and making it last till he returns. That's what we have. That's, that's who we have. That makes the Christian response to the storms of life so radically different. So let's, let's, let's fix our eyes on this Jesus. Oh, how amazing he is.